Hey, good morning. I'm going to go ahead and invite you to open to 1 John chapter 3, and we're going to pick it up where we left off last time. John has been talking about, uh, now that we are children of God, this wonderful expression that flows forth from the heart that has been changed within. Um, that's one of the beautiful things about Scripture, is there is so much rich theological explanation of the nature of God, the nature of what He's done in us, in making us His children, and then also um, some wonderful encouragement and instruction on what it means to live out our lives as children of God. What does that look like? And what's the impact of that? You know, John, clearly from his writing, both in the Gospels, his letter, his letters, um, uh, really drive us to uh, recognize that when the word and the deed become one, there is a rich expression of God's presence in the lives of his children. Um, we become an encouragement to other believers. We become a light and a testimony to those on the outside. Um, the Christian life that is not just mentally assented to, but is deeply um, embraced uh, and then lived out just becomes, again, a wonderful, rich expression of um, of the work of God in and through the believer, of the life of God in and through the believer. Uh, and of course, we become wonderful testimonies of the grace of God in Christ. And so that being said, um, in verse 11 in 1 John, this is where we'll pick it up today. We're really just going to take a handful of uh, verses here as we move forward. But John continues to write, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Uh, why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. And so he, uh, John harkens back to the time of Cain and Abel, the first uh, natural children of Adam and Eve. Um, and they both came bringing their offerings to God one day. And Abel brought of the uh, an offering from his uh, flocks. And Cain brought an offering from the land, and God accepted Abel's, um, and the presumption is, is that God has explained what is um, required in an offering. Now, there's a whole theology behind this, but just somewhat briefly to kind of paint the picture. Um, the entire picture of the sacrificial system throughout the Old Testament ultimately pointed toward the ultimate sacrifice of the Lamb of God, as John the Baptist calls him. Uh, he's the one who's come now to take away the sins of the world. When, when sin first uh, entered the world in Adam, um, God, uh, they made an attempt to hide themselves and to cover their sin, but God made it clear that wouldn't do. And so he went and he got animal skins and covered them. Well, those animal skins clearly came from animals, which meant that a principle was now laid down right from the very start, that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sin. And so um, somehow that must have been communicated. It's presumed that that was a, uh, uh, either had been communicated or God was communicating it in this instance between Cain and Abel because God accepts Abel's offering from the herds in that. But he doesn't accept Cain's from the field. And uh, when Cain's uh, upset by this, God speaks to him and says, well, look, if you do what's right, you'll be accepted. But rather than go back and do what was right... He ends up killing his brother, um, uh, and, and the implication here from John may very well, seems to be, that Cain deliberately gave a different kind of offering. Like Abel gave one kind, but Cain wanted to give this kind. Uh, he hated his brother because his own deeds were evil, not just mistaken, but evil. 
And so the implication seems to be that Cain deliberately did something other than what God had told him to, uh, and, and, and rather than make it right, he ends up silencing the voice of conviction, in the, in, or it, literally, in killing his brother. And so um, this stands as the ultimate example of the opposite of what a child of God is supposed to be. Um, a child of God is supposed to love, and especially we should love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus himself would make this point in John uh, 1335, you know, this is how they'll know you're my disciples, by your love for one another, right? And so love becomes the supreme example of our fellowship together, but ultimately the extreme, the, the, the ultimate example of God's working in us. We make it clear that we're his by loving one another. And love is not just the syrupy, you know, Hallmark card kind of thing, but love is the kind of thing that is active and giving and seeking to elevate others and uh, to give sacrificially, things like that. Things which John himself will begin to point to a little bit in the verses uh, ahead. Um, but here again, he says, this is the message you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Uh, again, not being like Cain, uh, whose deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. And he goes on to make uh, a, a continue to draw that distinction between those who are children of the devil, like Cain, or those who are children of God, like Abel, or like we're supposed to be. He says, do not be surprised, brothers. And of course, you know, we say brothers, it's brothers and sisters, uh, you know, followers of Christ. Don't be surprised, brothers, that when the world, don't be surprised that the world hates you. Uh, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. This is evidence of the fact that we've passed into, from death to life. But he says, don't be surprised when the world hates you. Now, one of the reasons we shouldn't be surprised is because Jesus said not to be surprised. He said, if the world hated me, they're going to hate you. And so, therefore, we should not be surprised by this. He said, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Uh, Paul would say that all who seek to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Uh, this is just what it means to be a believer in a world that is hostile to the gospel. Um, not every person you meet is going to want to beat you up or something, but at least in terms of worldview, the world stands completely opposed to the gospel, to what it means to live a life based on what is good and right, as God has prescribed it. And so we should not be surprised by that. Um, we also um, should not be surprised because really there are just two camps when it comes to humanity. There are those who have um, said to the Lord, thy will be done. And then there are those on the other side who resist God, to whom God will one day have to say, okay, well, it wasn't what I wanted, but your will be done. Um, and so there are those that are in rebellion to God, but then there are those who are walking with God. And these two camps are constantly, um, you know, not in agreement. And one camp, uh, those who are described here by John as the children of the devil, uh, they will seek to hate uh, those who are children of light. It is just the way it is. Um, you know, we see in scripture where light expels darkness. And so therefore, um, you know, the world doesn't like the light, it hates the light because it, it, their deeds are exposed as evil. And so this is kind of what's in view here and what John is talking about. He says, don't be surprised when the world hates you. We know that we've passed from death into life because we love the brothers. Again, that's the evidence. Whoever does not love abides in death. But whoever, but everyone who hates, and, and everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Um, clear, clear distinction. Right? There's nothing complicated or, or hard to understand about that. 
Um, if our hearts are wicked like Cain's, where rather than do what's right, we seek to silence that which is right so we can continue to just live in the way that we do, then that's really not the kind of person that has life in them. This is somebody who is, um, you know, a prisoner of darkness, somebody who is, in fact, a child of the devil. That's a very strong term, too, isn't it? The idea of a, a child of the devil. Jesus did use that expression, too, in talking to the Pharisees when he talked about how they were of their father, the devil. They were accusing him of being illegitimately born. And uh, Jesus, in that exchange, went on to describe how I believe it was in that exchange. Uh, I think I mentioned this a few days ago, and I, I meant to like go right back to it just to confirm, and I, it slipped my mind. But, um, but I think it's in that exchange where, um, in response to that accusation, Jesus points out that they are of their father, the devil. Um, now, as, as human beings, we're all made in God's image. We're image bearers in, in a sense. You know, we, um, we have a moral, you know, we, whether it's conscience or whether we're aware of the law, and that kind of thing. God has created us with the capacity to do what's right and to, to know him and that kind of thing. But many people choose not to. They don't want to. They, they refuse to surrender to him. And so therefore they continue down a path that ultimately leads toward, um, well, to their own destruction ultimately, but even in life, um, even though it may often seem somewhat innocuous. A worldview that is opposed to God's will find its way out in the kinds of advice that is given, the counsel that's given, the directions taken, uh, the way we vote, the way we uh, think about you know society and things that should be and shouldn't be allowed and those kinds of things. It, it always finds its way out. That's actually part of the point of this whole passage is that in the, for the Christian, there's a natural expression and outworking of godly things because this is the new heart that beats within us. It beats for those kinds of things. Um, but for those who are outside, those who refuse, uh, ultimately, um, um, they have no eternal life abiding in them. Um, not that they can't be saved, but for the time being, this is their condition. Um, but by this, verse uh, 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So, um, I'm going to let this be where we kind of end today. Today will be a little briefer than normal. Uh, I don't normally end quickly, but it's going to be a relatively brief one today because I think this is plenty for us to think about. This last thought here is a great passage to meditate on. Um, we know love. This is how we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Now that alone is something that's worthy of taking a few moments. Um, we would do well to recognize that the gospel is not based on the idea of our personal value. Uh, and I apologize if that sounds blunt or sounds kind of offensive. But if we want to understand the gospel, we have to recognize our actual condition. And that goes far beyond that, oh, we're, de we're lost in sin, we're dead in sin. It, because if we sort of stop there, we sort of feel like there's kind of a victimhood to that. Like, well, I'm a sinner. I can't help it. I, I want to do better, but I can't. If that's all it were, um, we might be confused about the gospel. We might think that, well, maybe God reached down and saved us simply because we were helpless. But we were far more than helpless. We were rebellious. Okay? Um, the Bible does not paint a picture of a people who are just simply victims of sin. But we are... Uh, the, the scriptures expose our true nature, that we are actively rebelling against God. We are, um, 
we are transgressors, not just sinners. Um, you know, in Adam, our nature is such where we want our own way. We don't want to bend a knee. We want to do things that we want to do the way we want to do them with the result that we want. Even though it stands so often opposed um, to the goodness and truth of God, um, he has given his law. He's explained what holiness is about. He's explained what is ultimately good and right. But we choose otherwise because in our flesh we desire things uh, that so often um, are sinful, but we want them. Whether it's an illicit relationship, whether it's something that somebody else has that we want to take. You know, in the scriptures, when, when the Old Testament, uh, God lays out the commandments and says, you shall not steal, kill, commit adultery, murder, or, you know, kill, murder is what's in view with kill, but uh, covet our neighbor's goods or our neighbor's wife and those kinds of things. Um, those things were, you know, Paul tells us that the law was given, that these things were told to us so that we would understand that our natural tendencies and desires were inherently sinful. Uh, if the law had never existed, we might continue on in, act, in acting these things out um, and not really fully understand that they were wrong. But the law now is given so that we have no doubt that they're wrong. So in other words, we understand. But nonetheless, we'd still continue in them. Um, and, and just to cap it off and make it even harder, uh, you know, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount uh, on Wednesday nights, and we'll eventually come to the passage where Jesus talks about, probably, uh, if not tonight, next time, or to, if we, let's see, uh, next week, uh, anyway, we'll get to it. Um, so when we, when we come to the passage where Jesus talks about not just the activity of lust or the activity of murder, or the activity of adultery and the activity of murder, but he talks about the lustful desire that leads to adultery, where he talks about the hatred that leads to murder. Um, it's sin even there internally. It's not just that the activity happens, but the fact that it's in our nature to want, desire, lust after, hate, those kinds of things. Um, in other words, Jesus makes it very clear that nobody escapes the condemnation of this. Nobody escapes the right accusation of the true character of our nature and, and our, our being in that. And so these things are here to help us understand our real condition. This is not just that we're victims of sin. We are rebellious. God says no, we say yes. And it's in that context that Jesus laid down his life for us. As a matter of fact, that, that's, you know, that, that group that had gathered and were mocking him, spitting on him, calling for his death, wanting him expunged from the earth. Um, you know, let God's judgment fall upon us and this kind of thing. This, this was a good picture of humanity in its most basic, genuine, raw form. And it's in that context that Jesus says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. They are so blinded by their hatred and sin that they don't even realize what they're actually doing. That's how, uh, that's how horrifically marred our consciences, our very personhoods are. And it's there that Jesus dies for us. Um, this wasn't like you know, oh, let's rescue them, Father, because after all, they, they mean well and everything and they just need some help. No, they're wicked, rebellious, hateful, but I want to save them because I am love. Has nothing to do with our worthiness. Has everything to do with his love and grace. And so 
This is what John is talking about when he says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And then he goes on and he lays out the impossible task. And so should we therefore then lay down our lives for the brothers? Now, what it's impossible, it just, it's such a lofty thing, lay down our lives. Let us be like Jesus was to us. Let us be that way to others. Um, now, on the one hand, that should be infinitely easier than what Jesus did. Um, while we're yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly, right? Just the, while we were in rebellion against him, Jesus died. And so by comparison, it should be much easier for us to love our neighbor and love our brothers and sisters like Jesus loves us, lay down our lives for them. But even in our redeemed state, well, one day we'll be like fully what God has redeemed us to be. But even in our condition now where we have a new nature, maybe that's a better way to put that, we have a new nature that battles against the old. We still struggle to lay down our lives for the brothers. We still struggle to love one another the way Jesus loved us with that genuine, sacrificial, other-centered, non-self-seeking, it's not what I get out of it, it's what you get out of it kind of love. That's still difficult for us. It's still really, really hard because there is still enough residual sin nature within us where we will do this to a point, but then it becomes somewhat inconvenient. And so that's as far as I can go. Um, You know, and I say this to my own shame too. I'm not, you know, I have not arrived in this category by any stretch of the imagination. Um, And so when I talk about this, I know what I'm talking about. I know of where I speak. And so, um, you know, when I see the brothers, people that I genuinely love, when I see my wife and daughter, people I genuinely love, I still don't find myself as sacrificially giving as Christ is to me and was to me in the cross. Um, Over time, hopefully, the Holy Spirit continues to kind of bring to the surface these things that I might address them. He continues to work in me that I might become these things. Um, but if I'm being honest with you, I, I don't fulfill this. Um, but that's why John says it, you know, it's there so that we can consider it, that we can um, deal with it, that we can recognize our lack in this area and seek the ideal, not just let the ideal be an ideal out there that we talk about in lofty terms with reverence and respect, but never really make an attempt to be. Um, And again, we're not talking about losing salvation or gaining salvation. We're talking about saved people seeking to be more like Jesus. And that's John's ideal. And so that's why I say this is a good place to end, because that's plenty to think about. And you almost don't want to go on to the next thing and leave this behind. This is a good place to sort of leave unresolved so that we can get alone with the Lord and seek to ask him to help us resolve it. Um, <laughs> I'm a musician and one of the, uh, there, there's an element that I really love uh, doing in music and that's leaving uh, chords unresolved. You know, this, um, the, uh, the songs in the key of G and I sort of let it end on a D sus D kind of a thing and never come back down to the the G. Well, for some, that just drives people crazy because it's like, ah, bring it back, you know, and that kind of thing. But there's something, uh, there's something in that, leaving it hanging there, that causes you to want to go the next step. And so similarly here to sort of, you know, John will go on and talk about, you know, um, examples of loving your brother and that kind of thing. But 
Well, look at those next time. Right now, there's really the heart issue before we ever get to the do issue. What is it that keeps me from loving my brother, my sister that way? What is it that keeps me from being as a husband, uh, this kind of loving um, and that kind of thing? Well, that's that's something if I, if I love the Lord, I want to wrestle with that. If I want to be more like him, I want to bring this to him and say, Lord, I have a problem here. This is, this is an area I need help big time. And I want to pray about it. And I want to let the Holy Spirit bring to the surface examples of, of that, that I can see for what they are and maybe consider then how I might do that differently next time. Again, I'm not worried about losing my salvation. It's because I am saved that I so desperately want to be like Jesus. And so I'll leave it there. And, um, and let's ask the Lord to help us with this. And then maybe uh, next time we're together, we'll dive into the next passage or um, maybe look at that. So Father, we thank you and praise you. Uh, that you are good and that you love us in spite of us, that Jesus came and died for us, again, in spite of our sin, in spite of our rebellion, in spite of our uh, self-centeredness and all of that. And Father, when we recognize that love, uh, it is awe-inspiring and it's quite humbling. And so I just would ask that for each one of us, that we would see love in that lens, that we would recognize Jesus' demonstration of love And then the Holy Spirit's call upon us to love one another this way. That's hard. That's difficult. That's lofty. That's beyond my natural capacities. Um, But it is something that by the power of the Holy Spirit and by your grace, you can work on in me to make me more that way. And so we ask that you would. You'd help us to be more like what we're reading about here. Help us not to let this, uh, you know, fall into the, the realm of, you know, I need to do this to perform so you'll love me and all that kind of thing. Help us not to entertain that. That's not what John is saying. We know that. But, but rather, because we know you love us, it drives us to want to live in ways that are acts of worship to you, that reflect you and your beauty and your glory, that, uh, that are like Jesus. And that's who we want to be more like. So help us in that regard. We pray that you'd continue to just draw us deeper and deeper into your heart, that we might dwell in that place. And for having been there, let that then impact the way that we live uh, as we express that experience of dwelling with you in the world around us. Father, we thank you and love you. We bless you and praise your awesome name. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you. Thanks for watching. As always, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to leave them here in the comments section or on my website at parsonspad.com. Uh, you can also send an email if you'd like to interact that way. Um, and of course, I invite you to go to our church's website so you can learn more about Calvary Chapel Franklin, where we fellowship together. And, um, and we always want to invite you to join us on Wednesday nights for our midweek live stream. Uh, we try to make that interactive as people can type in questions and we try to respond to those in the midst of our time together. Our midweeks are very laid back. They're intended to be more discussion-based. And so we like to try and open that up for that. And of course, you can watch our Sunday morning live stream as well. Uh, and if you don't have a current fellowship that you're part of, then we invite you to, you know, at least in that way, join us if you can't be with us in person. So it's just important in these days that we're entering into and that we're continuing to move forward into that we fellowship together, that we spend time together around the Word of God, uh, praying together, studying together, um, fellowshipping where we can, uh, where it's possible to break bread together um, and that kind of thing. I know it's not the best thing in the world to just watch something on a screen. But if that's all you've got, we just want to welcome you to come and join us in that way at least. So, But thanks so much for joining and we'll catch up with you next time. And until then, may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you 
and, um, and, and be gracious to you and give you peace forever. Amen. <laughs>